Good evening, everyone. It's Necro Thursday. Welcome to the Thunderdome with me and Jeff Kashid. How's it going, Jeff? Good, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. It's uh, We're recording this on a Friday, and uh, mm-hmm. i got a big weekend coming ahead of me. Um, tonight, uh, my girlfriend Tina and I are going to see Twin Tribes in Brooklyn. Tomorrow night, we're going to see Mayhem and Cannibal Corpse. You know, once again out in uh, you know the boroughs of New York City, and Sunday, we're going to the first installment of Haunts, which is a uh, Cadabra Records, um, you know, festival of sorts. It's like a mini fest of the Nightlands Fest that I went to earlier in the year, and they're going to be doing readings with accompanying scores by uh, mm. you know our buddies over at Cadabra Records, and uh, this weekend should be uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I, I wish I could be going to that thing on Sunday. They're going to be doing more of these, and uh, it's a lot, of, a lot of fun, man. There's like um, a bunch of cool records coming out, and uh, I mean, it's definitely a niche kind of thing if you're into like you know obscure like film scores on vinyl. Or I'm sorry, that's not even film scores. They do release occasional film score, but it's like spoken word, weird fiction, cosmic horror, you know, gothic horror. With a with an accompanying score, and mm. it's really fucking cool, man. It's only available on vinyl, so definitely go check out their uh, their site if this sounds interesting to you. That's uh, CadabraRecords.com. I remember when I was a kid, uh, my parents had a couple of, like scary story things on vinyl. Do you, do you remember anything like that? Did you remember yeah. anything like that when you were young? Oh, totally, absolutely, I do. Okay, yeah, all right. Because I was wondering, like, did I just imagine that, or was that real? No, nah, it's it's kind of like that actually, except it's um really uh the packaging's killer. There's always great artwork associated with it. You know, Paul Romano did a bunch of stuff. Mm. Uh, my buddy Joe Kein, our, actually our mutual friend Joe Kineberger, he's done some artwork for them too. Nice, nice. Jeremy, I don't Hush, have you know Jeremy Hush is a you know fairly well known guy too. Mike, I don't have anything going on this weekend. You're making me feel like a scrub here. <laughs> Sometimes it's nice to have a quiet weekend, you know? Yeah, but then when that's all you have, it's not that nice. Yeah. But there are a bunch of shows coming through Austin, and I don't know if I'm going to get to go to any of them. The Melvins are on Tuesday. Uh, depending on what time they go on stage, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. Uh, Oxbow, I'm definitely going to carve out time for that. They're they're coming through soon. Yeah. They're coming through your, your part of the Oh, yes. Neck neck I woods. already have tickets for it. Nice. Yeah. And I just saw Sun is playing here in November and um, it's been a good, I don't know, 10 something years since I've seen Sun. I've never seen Sun. That's right. Ever. That's right. You were supposed to go like a couple months ago. Yeah, there was a scheduling issue that came around and, and I ended up missing it. I had tickets and everything, man. And it's just like it's one of those, you know, one of those things. You know? Yeah, it's something, you know, after seeing Earth 2 live, I don't I'm I'm good. I'm like, I, I don't never, I never need to see another show again. So everything, any other show I go to after that is just, you know, gravy, I guess. I need to see him just to be a completist, you know, and, and, um, mm. you know, I've been hanging out with Selden Hunt, our mutual friend a lot. And he's, you know, he's tight with those guys and he's always, uh, you know, hard selling me on checking it out live. Yeah. He toured with them. Um, and uh, had some incredible stories about that that tour that uh, I'm sure he'd be happy to tell you with one or two of them. 
Oh yeah, yeah. And I've heard a few of them, and apparently yeah, sure. he's got it all on video too. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. He videoed one of our two thousand. It was two thousand five European tour. He came with us. He was supposed to be our lighting guy. Yeah. Uh, he didn't really do shit, but it was great having him on tour. With us. <laughs> I love I love guys like that. You got some guy on the payroll that's part of the crew, and he's just there to like hang out, really. You know, and he gets his PD every day and stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly. We basically just had had a paid hanger on. I mean, I'm not talking shit. Like he did attempt to do lights a couple times, and he did attempt to hang the banner a few times. So yeah. uh, you know. He kind of earned his money, but no, it was just great having him. You know, he's such a good time, and he videotaped uh, every day just so much of that tour. I, I'd be really, really horrified to see that stuff. So I'm praying it never sees the light of day. <laughs> you know, have you been uh, checking out um, any movies or anything like that lately? You know, not as much. I, I uh, as I said last time we spoke, I've been getting into physical media again i've been unboxing all my dvds and blu-rays and all that and i finally got it all displayed and just kind of been going through some things like oh this is in the criterion collection now i'm going to upgrade that and um so uh i, I finally finished uh, inland empire i know I, I said i started watching it last week right great movie man really really great and um did you you like that one? Oh right? yeah i mean I, I don't there's not a single thing that lynch has done except for maybe dune that i don't like mm. even dune's kind of interesting yeah um and i watched uh Mulholland drive oh that's like one of my favorites man that is my favorite i think that's his best movie i think that's his most complete movie too. any question you have in your head, I think can be explained just from watching it. You know, it's not as it is abstract, but I think it's all there for you to, to put the pieces together. Whereas Inland Empire, I'm still like, ah, I think I have a grasp on this. I should give that another watch too. Actually. I have, I have the Blu-ray of that. Yeah. I got, got the criterion blue. David Lynch has a lot of stuff in the criterion collection. So I got to upgrade pretty much everything I have yeah. by him. Um, um, I think uh, Lost Highway and Mulholland Drive. I kind of fluctuate between between those two as being my favorite. I love Lost Highway. I have great memories going to see that in the theater with um, my old bandmates, Chris Marishak and Aaron Turner, right when I moved to Boston. It was a real fun experience. I do like that movie, but it, it, I just I don't love it as much as Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive is perfect. Lost Highway is it, – it's got a few things in it. I remember being like, eh. You know, it's got Rammstein blaring on the soundtrack. <laughs> that uh, Lou Reed cover of uh, This Magic Moment is uh, awesome, too. Mm. Fuck, I don't even remember that. I gotta yeah. watch that again. Um, so I've just kind of been doing that. I picked up Onibaba on uh, yes. Blu-ray, on Criterion Blu-ray. I picked up La Lorna on Criterion Blu-ray. I don't know if any of you have seen, or you might have seen La Lorna. Uh, yeah. Not the shitty Bloomhouse horror movie. We're talking about the... Uh, Spanish production, I believe. It's a, it's a really cool movie. I liked it a lot. Yeah, Ani Baba has come up as a recommendation on the Necrophone. So um, yes, we should yeah. definitely uh, look into doing that. There's a bunch of good stuff that we're trying to get to that everyone's been um, you know, recommending to us. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get to it. Uh, last thing, I got the uh, Studio Canal uh, Wicker Man box set. Dude, I saw the pictures, and I, that, that's incredible looking. Yeah, I mean... If you get one version of that film, the uh, physical media, that's the one. I mean, it's got all 
three cuts. It's got the huge booklet. It's got a couple posters. It's got uh, postcards. Um, the script is on one of the discs, which um, I'm curious to read because my friend, our, our mutual friend, Peter Ferris, just sent me a text the other day saying he read the script for The Wicker Man. I guess you can buy it in book form now. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it's really interesting, man. Like, there's a lot of stuff in there that didn't, you know, like they probably ran out of money uh, and couldn't film. And so he's like, it's definitely, you know, you're a super fan of the movie. You've got to read the script. So that's on the agenda. I should pick that up too, man, while they last. Those things are probably selling like hotcakes, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I got lucky and snagged, snagged the last copy. Um, that's pretty much it. One thing I just... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I started listening to John Bernthal's podcast. <laughs> like, Dude. I you get I a kick out of that. that I should check it out, too. Dude, it sounds like two people blasting on coke, having a conversation. That's, that's what it reminds me of. Like, yeah. really, bro, listen, bro. Dude, bro, I love you. You know, it's very, um, you know, but once you get past all that, it's a really interesting podcast. Uh, he's He's smarter than he appears. I'll say that. No, I definitely. I mean, I like John Bernthal. Me too. But um, he's he's one of those actors I like to fight, though. You know what I mean? Like, um, <laughs> I mean, not not like in some tough guys kind of way, but just like I don't know. Like, I, I he talks a lot about boxing and stuff, and I'd like to, like, you know, go out on the mat and see what's up. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, that'd be uh, be interesting. He had uh, I listened to two episodes. He had David Ayer on the filmmaker David Ayer, who I'm a big fan of. I think he's criminally underrated. Yeah, no, nah, totally. I, I should check it out. I mean, I like John Bernthal. I think he plays like a really good like scumbag kind of character, you know? Yeah, he does. He's, he excels at playing a piece of shit. <laughs> um, that show we were watching on HBO where he plays the uh, Baltimore cap. Uh, oh, that's the man. best, man. Dude, that's the dude, best. He, he's so good in that role. He would swear that dude was a Baltimore townie, man. He He nailed it. The ambulance. Oh, he says ambulance. He's like, yeah, well, ambulance. Yeah, what's wrong? You don't like my crabs? My crabs? Water, yeah. Water. <laughs> that that mid Atlantic accent. Water. Yeah. Water. <laughs> Give me some water ice, kid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's, you know, um, interesting. And he, and he just doesn't do so. I mean, I only listened to two episodes, and one was David Ayer, and the other was Shia LaBeouf, who I've never been a fan of. Uh, that's an interesting listen. But he interviews like ex-cons and gangbangers and shit, military people, cops. Really interesting. It, it, I'm, I'm looking forward to digging into it. Yeah, I'll check it out. Definitely. Yeah. What about you, man? What have you been checking out? A couple things. Um, <laughs> the House October Built 2. I didn't realize mm. there was a sequel to that. So I watched that. Yeah, it was all right. Oh, it was It was like, wh- um, you should watch one and two. I didn't even, I've never heard of the first one. When did that come out? Well, my girlfriend knew all about these movies. It's funny because I was like, I was at her place and I had it on. She was like, you know, doing something like work related. And uh, she's like, oh, what are you watching? And I was like, The House That October Built 2. And she's like, oh, I saw the first one. I didn't know there was a sequel. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, it, you know, it's not good, but it's not bad. It's like, uh, definitely, it's like found, the first one's like a f- found footage kind of thing. Okay. The second one, similar to Blair Witch, it's not all found footage. You know what I mean? There's more like like connective tissue and things like that. Oh, okay. All I right. can't. Yeah. I can't full full wholeheartedly back it. But if you have Tubi and you're bored, check it out. Check both of them out. 
Okay. All right. That yeah. sounds uh, interesting. You learn something new every day. Never heard of the house that October built. Yeah. And um, then uh, I checked out uh, Angry Black Girl and Her Monster, which is on Shutter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just was. Yeah. I just uh, saw that uh, on the on the, the homepage there. Yeah. It's uh Re- actually Rennie and I were texting about this with Mike, and um, I I thought it was pretty good, man. It's like uh you know kind of like an urban riff on obviously uh frankenstein you know okay yeah and there's actually she has a notebook that the title is the you know the modern prometheus you know which is the subtitle Mm. for you know a version of frankenstein so right definitely worth checking out very very um in a weird way i know we were talking about this on the thread with mike and rennie that it has this kind of like ec comics like sort of vibe to it Mm. i like that stuff it, it was good, really well done. You know, the acting was good, and uh, I back it. I'd be interested in talking about it on the show, actually. Cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll check it out. You know what, Mike? That brings to mind, I did watch another thing on Shudder. What's uh, that? Stage Fright, the Italian horror film from oh, 1987 yeah. by Michael Michael Solazzo. I can't pronounce his last Solazzo. name. Solazzo. <laughs> hey, hey, yeah, man. he directed Cemetery, man. Oh, uh, Michele, uh, Michele Suave. Yes, yeah, that sounds yeah. right, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, because when you said the angry black girl thing, I was like, oh yeah, I saw that on Shudder. What was I doing on Shudder? And like, oh yeah, I watched Stage Fright. Um, been meaning to watch that for like 20 years. I've had it in my DVD collection forever. And then finally just saw it on Shudder. It was like, oh, you know, that's easier than going upstairs and popping it in. Yeah, I'm, I'm down with, uh, Swabby's, uh, material. Uh, that's not a, a lot one. of it out there. No, but it's all pretty good, man. I mean, like Cemetery Man, a.k.a. Della Morte, Della More, is like one of my favorite horror films of all time. Yeah, that's uh, great. The the church, though uneven, is actually interesting to watch and pretty good. Oh, yeah. You know, he worked under Terry Gilliam. I'm not sure what he was. It's like assistant director or something. But uh, his time with Gilliam definitely shows in Cemetery Man and the Church. Not so much in stage fright, but yeah, you know there is some Gilliam esque imagery in those movies, which which I appreciate as a big big fan of Terry Gilliam. And uh, the guilty pleasure, um, the annual guilty pleasure of American Horror Story, uh, uh-huh. you know, that rolls on. You know, that's been how's like, it going? Uh, um, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> it's like <laughs> good, huh? it's like our Thursday night thing that Tina and I do at the house. It's like that's cool. We like watch it and you know when we got it got a bite to eat last night we uh yeah put it on hung out watched it. it was pretty good you know it's uh i have to say that uh what's her name there kim kardashian looks like um like an android or something you know <laughs> like she looks like yeah. one of those like yeah, real she keeps dogs coming up on the, in the ads it, <laughs> like uh, i guess it's a big selling point she's on the show now do you know you know like the real doll like um, yes. I mean, I've only read about these things. I don't, I don't, I've never, you know, I've never yeah, seen yeah. them really in person, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've only read about these, but she looks like a real doll. Like if you animated a real doll, that's what Kim, Kim Kardashian looks like. Yeah. She's probably like, what, 42, 43 now, not a wrinkle on her face. <laughs> and, uh, you know, her skin tone, she's like the female Michael Jackson. Her skin tone has changed a bunch. Uh, <laughs> You know, she's changed the shape of her body. Um, I mean, she's almost like the sub, like the the subject of a Cronenberg film with all this yeah. body modification and shit. 
But how I, I do think this season actually is kind of interesting. It's like um, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a riff. It has a Cronenbergian vibe to it in some ways, and um, also like this kind of riff on uh, Rosemary's Baby. Um, you know, it's kind of it follow, it's following that trajectory of the story. You know what I mean? Mm, okay. But there is like a body horror kind of thing going on too, which I found interesting. I got, you know, I, I, like I said, I said it a million times, I only watched two seasons of this show and they were both there. One was enjoyable trash and the other one was just absolutely terrible. Um, it, it just seems like the, the subject, whatever the subject they're doing, it always flies off the rails. So in, sometimes in an interesting way and sometimes it's just like, oh no, I'm out. Uh, so I've been hesitant to check out another season. If I do, what would be the one to do? Um. I, I watch all of them. I can't defend any opinion I have. With this. It's like if anyone, it's like, it's like when someone catches you like jerking off or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Yeah. I, no, I don't know I, what you I'm, mean. No, no. I'm, I'm guilty. You know, I, I, yeah. I, that's me. Yes. But I can't mm. defend it. You know, oh yeah, I was just, you know, no. Yeah. Researcher. Right? <laughs> it's like, so yeah, it has that kind of, that's, that's my experience with it. But, the ones that are better is the first season I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, Asylum I thought was good. Um, I don't know. That one, and I thought the New York City one from last year was pretty good. Oh, the cruising one, right? Yeah, just because it t- took place in New York and it has like this kind of cruising, like late 70s, early 80s, like a giallo kind of thing going on, you know? I, see, I think conceptually it's really cool to kind of take like a horror genre or trope or movie and kind of do a riff on it. I, I like that. Yeah. It, it's it, un, it's uneven it, at best. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's Sometimes it's cool. Sometimes you're like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm into this. And sometimes it really does fall flat, you know? Yeah. I can't believe that was the guy that did uh, the, the Dahmer show, which is just the polar opposite of what it's, you know uh, – the polar opposite of uh, American Horror Story. Yeah, deadly serious, really depressing and heavy. Yeah, totally. Dark. Yeah. Dark as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So before we get too deep in the episode, I just want to shout out the other members of the podcasting Illuminati, the horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse. You know, of course, kicking the, uh, the week off, we have Brandon Legion's Horror Wolf 666. Then we move on to the finest metal podcast on the internet into the necrosphere with jackie smith wednesday's everything went black which is um i've been at it for quite a while with that show it's kind of like a Mm. variety show like the carol burnett show in some ways of like (laughs) you never know what you're gonna get you know right of course thursday's necro thursday we have uh carl hikara bringing us soul knox on sunday and lurking in the shadows, Iblis Manifestations, brought to you by Cheyenne of Trivax, who's too free, too much of a free spirit to stick to a regular schedule. Good for him, man. Yeah. We've got a couple calls. You know, of course, we have the Necrophone, which I invite everyone to call and leave messages, make recommendations, um, you know, anything, pretty much anything you want. It's an open forum. And uh, first up, Returning, we have Mike from PA. I'm glad hey, he's to hear back, from Mike. Man, he's back. You know. Hey, Necrohood. It's Mike from Telford. I uh, just listened to the new episode today, The Woman in Black. Fucking, that was a great episode, dude. That, that's a great movie. 
Uh, I'll hip you guys to a couple of great uh, mail order places. Uh, Orbit DVD out of Asheville, North Carolina, and Diabolic DVD, which is, uh, I think, in New Jersey. It's not far from me. Those two places are excellent. I'm willing to bet that one of them two has that movie. It might be Region B, though, and uh, Diabolic can uh, point you towards a good uh, Region B player. They don't cost that much anymore. I bought one last year so I could stop missing out on some of this shit. So uh, I'm heading to the uh, anti-scene 40th anniversary show this weekend. I'm good. Everything's good, man. I never miss you guys on Thursdays. I look so forward to that. So, uh, and uh, I don't want to be presumptuous, but you've been talking about doing an episode on Alucarda, and uh, this last time I ordered from Mondo Macabro, I bought an extra copy of that DVD. I believe Mike Scandato said he couldn't find his. So, if you guys need a hard copy to do that with, uh, you know, I, I'm going to try and hit that Oxbow show in Philly, or just you know. We'll, we'll meet up somewhere. I can pass that to you, though. That's why I bought it, so you guys can do that. Uh, listen, I'm not a fucking show producer or nothing, so you do what you do because you're doing an excellent job. All right, fellas, I'll be talking to you soon. I haven't watched shit in a bit, so I don't have nothing to fucking recommend. But uh, I look forward to Necro Thursday every fucking week, guys. So I hope you have a good weekend, and uh, I'll be talking to you later. Yeah, good to hear from you, Mike. Um, I'm familiar with Diabolic DVD. I've ordered from them a bunch of times. That's cool that uh, anti-scenes playing. Um, are, I think Malcolm from Trash American Style is actually playing bass for anti-scene. Really? Yeah. yeah. The, one of the times I saw Malcolm, he was talking about that he was actually in anti-scene. Wow. I have not seen Malcolm in yeah, I, over, over 20 years, closer to 30. It seems like I saw him yesterday, but it's been about three years at least three years since I've seen him because I had him on Everything Went Black with Randy a few years ago. That's right. You did that in Randy's basement. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah um, it was a good episode. Yeah. Alucarda, thanks for reminding us. That's definitely something I want to do. And, uh, yeah, you know, definitely, man. I, I will not be going to the Philly Oxbow show. I'll be checking that out in New York, but that's one of the best live bands out there, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, we've done some touring with Oxbow. I've seen them play a lot. And like I mentioned earlier, they're coming to Austin uh, in, in November. So really looking forward to that. Yeah, they're sick. And uh, I've had many conversations with Eugene Robinson, the front man of that band, over on Everything Went Black. So if anyone's interested, you can check that out. I think, um, yeah, a couple months ago I had him on. We talked about the new record and his book and all this you know, kind of stuff fascinating guy i really enjoyed spending time with him on tour and hearing his stories i remember being in a bar in greece at like i don't know some ungodly hour just him telling me this insane story and like man <laughs> he's such a very uh just a smart interesting guy also check out his uh show his, his podcast show stomper and sign up to his um sub stack look what you made me do Definitely. Up next, we got returning caller Stuart from the Bay Area. And uh, how's it going, man? Hey, Necromaniacs. This is Stuart out here in the Bay Area. I uh, just wanted to call in and tell you how much I've enjoyed the recent episodes. Really liked the Let's Scare Jessica to Death episode. That's one of my favorite movies. I really enjoyed the Influencer uh, episode. That wasn't a movie I was 
that was on my radar until you guys covered it, and I actually ended up liking it. Uh, it doesn't seem like something I would usually watch, but I thought it was good. <clears throat> I've also been really enjoying the uh, Darkness Weave episodes. I've been reading the short stories in a lonely place collection by Carl Edward Wagner, and I've enjoyed listening to the episodes that Mike and Carl do. Uh, it's been pretty cool. Um, I have one recommendation. Um, it's a <clears throat> movie from Belgium. It came out in 2008, I think. It's called Left Bank. It's kind of hard to find, but I was able to uh, watch it during the pandemic. It's pretty interesting. It's kind of about a woman who moves in with her boyfriend into his apartment and uh, all sorts of weirdness ensues. I think you guys would probably dig it. Anyways, I was also wondering, have you ever covered the movie Phantasm at some point? I'm just wondering about that. Anyways, have a good one. Cheers. Yeah, thanks about Jessica. Um, that's uh, that was a I love that movie, and um, it's definitely part mm, of that too. part of that like era of like American Nightmare like vibes, you know. And um, yeah, I also was present pleasantly surprised about Influencer too. You know, weren't weren't you, Jeff? Oh God, yeah. Like uh, not expecting anything from that. Um, like I said on, on the episode, we just kind of. We were looking for something to watch and threw that on and uh, ended up being really good. Yeah, I, I was I was uh, surprised by that. And hey, thanks Fair. for listening to uh, the Darkness Weaves episodes on Everything Went Black and Soul Knox. It's cool that there's like a cross section of people who are checking out all the other shows associated with us. And uh, yeah, dude, definitely support the Carl Edward Wagner um, catalog. He's a become a relatively obscure author these days but he's got such great material out there you know he's got this mm. um you know dark fantasy character kane which should be someone should make a series out of the kane stories man they're like it's like a conan if he was a sorcerer an immortal sorcerer mm. you know yeah there's so much good stuff out there to make you know and uh content <laughs> with and the same things just keep getting recycled so yeah, yeah. Do something cool, people. And uh, regarding the recommendation of Left Bank, I I have to check. I might have seen that movie. It seemed it sounds familiar based on your description, and the title rings a bell. But then again, it might you know might be something that's uh, or some other thing that I, I'm confusing it with. And no, yes, it's definitely uh, Left Bank. I, yeah. I've mentioned it on this podcast a lot. Did I agree? <laughs> I love that that I, did I say that I saw it? Or? <laughs> Uh, I don't think you've seen it, I, but I've mentioned it many, many times, and I recommend it all the time. No one ever likes it as much as I do. All right. Well, fuck. Let's, let's do it, man. I, then I haven't seen it. Okay. It's great. And Phantasm, though we haven't covered, we haven't dedicated an episode to it, Phantasm has come up on one of these like favorite lists that me and Mike have done in the past. But I think mm -hmm. it's high time that we, uh, we do a focused episode on, episode on it. Doing all, how many, there's five of those movies? Yeah, and uh, obviously the first one's classic, you know, and they kind of fall off as time goes on. I got to say, I think the second one's my favorite. I like the second one. Yeah, I like the second one a lot. Uh, the ones after that, I, I haven't seen the fifth one. I've seen three and four, but I can't tell you one thing about them. It's completely out of my out of my memory. 
So if you want to call us, you can reach us at 908-913-0782. No one's going to answer, so you have to leave a message, okay? And uh, that number, once again, is 908-913-0782. And keep those those messages coming, you know? If someone does answer, though, you you probably got the wrong number. Just want to throw that out there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, man. So today's, uh, this week's episode, it's a, a, a movie that I'm surprised we've never done. And of course, yeah. I'm talking about The Mist from uh, November 21st, 2007. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Mike, I, we were talking the other day and I was like, we haven't done The Mist, have we? And you're like, no. Well, I mean, it's, I think it's kind of perfect for this time of year. Yeah. It's about to be out. Actually, when this comes out, it will be October. Yep. And this kind of fits, I think, the criteria of what I like to watch during October, the spooky season. Yeah, this is, um, I, I'm putting a list together, which um, with my girlfriend, we have to um, wrap it up this weekend because we're going to start doing our 31 days of Halloween thing. Yeah, we're going to try to as well here. Yeah. Uh, related to that, we're going to see a uh, screening of Halloween on a big screen. Oh, nice. On Halloween. Fun, yeah. It's cool. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a staple of every October is Halloween in some form. You know, there's a, quite a few movies to choose from, some documentaries. Uh, it, it seems to always make its way into my uh, October viewings in some form or another. So... This movie came out, as I mentioned, on November 21st, 2007. It's 126 minutes long and directed with screenplay by the great Frank Darabond, who you guys all know from uh, Walking Dead, early Walking Dead fame. Mm. And uh, this is based on the short story titled The Mist by Stephen King which you can find this short story in, in his uh, Skeleton Crew collection. Yes, yeah, and in Dark Forces, the uh, horror anthology from the, or collection of short stories from the, the 80s. I think that's where I might have read it. Yeah, I, I, only, I have the Skeleton Crew version of it. Yeah, yeah, I have it too. Yeah. The two, uh, the two pieces are, are different, actually. You know, like the endings, and there's, there's some uh, slight variations in the narrative which we'll, we'll talk about later yes yeah definitely yeah uh the cast we have uh thomas jane as uh david drayton a painter um <laughs> yeah yeah which is interesting because like stephen king always like in, inserts like other authors like his protagonists are sometimes authors you know but this time he's going with a painter true strews and i i read from that like you know what i mean did you get that vibe what's that Drew, he's supposed to be like Drew Struzan, the famous poster artist yeah. who did Star Wars and all that shit. Yeah, I, I can I can relate to that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we have uh, his direct antagonist in this, besides monsters, is uh, Marsha Gay Harden as Mrs. Carmody. And she's uh, a religious fanatic. If she were um, existing in the modern society, she would probably most, most likely have uh, voted for Donald Trump. Supporting, <laughs> she'd be living in Florida, supporting uh, extreme right wing viewpoints, and would be in love 
with uh, what's his name? Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis, yeah. yeah Bob DeSantis, or whatever his name is uh, down there. Our friend's old roommate. Yeah, that's right. Our our mutual friend was roommates with him at uh, at yeah. yeah. How fucking crazy is that? That's that's we're not lying. That's actually true. So that, yeah, it is very true. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We have uh Lori Holden as uh Amanda Dunfrey, and she's a uh, notable because she also was in um Walking Dead. A lot of Walking Dead people in this. Yeah. And uh, Andre Brauger as Brent Norton. And he's uh, an attorney. Um, I guess he's like a summer person who comes to that town. And there's initially uh, some conflict between uh, Drayton and him. Yes. Yeah. And that's the basic. There's other. There's actually a fairly large cast for this film. But uh, that's the yeah. players, I think. Huge cast. Small setting. Yeah, very claustrophobic. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, first, I wanted to get this out of the way. Mike, did you see this in the theater? I did not see this in the theater. I rented it okay. on DVD. All right. I saw this in the theater, and that was the last time I saw this movie in color. Um, if you own this on Blu ray or DVD, it comes with two discs. The yep. second disc is the director's cut, which is the exact same movie, only in black and white. Uh, this movie plays so much better in black and white, I think. I agree. Have you seen the black and white? Oh, yeah. I have the same uh, version that you have. And it's, um, yeah, it's it's great in black and white. And I'll, I mean, technical comment. It's like the special effects in color definitely look a little ropey. You know what I mean? Oh, and, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Like in black and white, they look amazing though. Mm. I think it just fits overall with part of what Frank Darabont was going for. I, this is obviously supposed to be a throwback monster movie, uh, a little nod to the B movies of the fifties I got. Yeah. Although the tone is much more serious than that, which, which is what I found really interesting about this movie. Uh, but yeah, I black and white is the way to go with this one for sure it just it just works so much better uh i it's gotten to the point where i can't stand that you watch this in, in color i was watching the extras on the blu-ray and they were showing clips from the film in color and it's just, I don't know, it just doesn't work for me as well yeah it's uh it's definitely a throwback to you know those giant bug movies you know from the from the 50s like them and you know that kind of stuff but yeah, much more horrific but those i've always thought Maybe not always, but as I started, um, you know, getting more into like uh, involved literature, like horror literature, mm -hmm. there's a strong Lovecraftian element to some of those uh, giant bug movies, you know? Oh, of course. And this, yeah. this and takes it, yeah. the Lovecraftian element and, and amplifies it, definitely. Yeah, and not only that, but I'm sure you've read, you, you just said you read the story. The story itself is Lovecraftian because it's, you know, you're reading it from the narrator's perspective. This is all already happened. He's sitting in the gas station writing all of this down. Yeah. That feels very like that's like a Lovecraft setup right there. You know, I have a tale to tell you. And, you know, now this guy's never going to be the same. Yeah. No, that, that the story itself. I mean, you know, it's funny, like, it's not an obvious influence with uh, Stephen King, Lovecraft. But when you kind of like squint your eyes, you can see that there's a strong Lovecraftian element to so much of his fiction. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Uh, I think it's more overt in some things that he's written. Obviously, the story Crouch End is yeah. just, you know, a giant nod to Lovecraft. And I think, yeah, in some ways this, you know, you have tentacle creatures from, well, it's not, in the story, it's a bit more ambiguous where they come from. Yeah, I mean, definitely there's tentacles, you know, which is like a strong Lovecraft thing. Also, uh, the the novel Revival, which, you, have you read that one by, by Stephen King? You know, I have it, but I haven't read it yet. Uh, my girlfriend listened to it on uh, the book on tape thing or whatever. She said it was great, the best thing he'd written in, in years. It's one of my favorite novels that he's done. And it's um, a real, real heavy like like ending. You know what I mean? That's what I've heard, yeah. I, I pieced out on Stephen King's novels at Duma Key. I hated it so much I couldn't finish it. Uh, his short stories, I think, is where he's always excelled. Um, this, these quick bursts of, of horror for like 20, 30 pages and, uh, you don't really have to explain anything. Um, but I, I do want to read revival. I, I keep hearing the words downer ending and Lovecraftian. Maybe he was influenced by this movie of his own adaptation. <laughs> I don't also, there's like, uh, just, just a vibe of like a dude who's approaching the end of his life, you know, and pondering mm -hmm. like what the next, uh, you know, what's going to happen you know what i'm trying to say oh yeah definitely yeah you kind of forget stephen king's in his well into his 70s at this point i believe yeah when i went to bu he uh spoke on campus oh wow yeah that oh, was great of course i went you know and he was uh just talking about writing and i forgot what films were being uh you know put out by then at that point but it was just awesome to see him like in person I would love that. You know, I've always heard from people. I have some friends in the literary world that they all say Stephen King is a stand-up dude. He seems like that kind of guy. Yeah. You know, he's very outspoken on Twitter, and a lot of people hate him for that. But, you know, whatever. I don't care, I don't care about that shit. I know that he loves ACDC and the Ramones. So yes. that's awesome. Yes, he does. You know? <laughs> yeah, apparently he was in a band back in the day, and people would like – Say they played like at obnoxious volumes. I remember hearing that. Fucking love that, man. <laughs> yeah, me too. Back when he was just probably coked out of his mind. <laughs> <laughs> Good for him. This is one of his better stories, too. I really like this. I haven't read it since I read it actually a couple nights before the, the film came out because I wanted it fresh in my head. And, uh, you know, there, there's some differences, obviously, the ending, a uh, few added characters. But I, I think it mostly maintained the, uh, what Stephen King had written pretty well. Yeah, and, and I kind of respect the fact that Darabon changed the ending. You know what I mean? It's um, because, it, I don't know, it's like sometimes when I watch an adaptation of a novel or a book or a short story or whatever, especially something that I'm familiar with, it's cool when they go side to side with it and take a different path. And I, I appreciate that about this. I do too. And I've always said an adaptation is just that. If you want the, the book on the page, well, I mean, sure, that's cool. But wouldn't you want some, someone else's ideas to, to meld with the, the creator's ideas? That to me is a lot more interesting than just, you know, throwing like, you know, like, like Watchmen. It was like page for page on the screen and it didn't work. So, you know, while we're talking about adaptations, I kind of wanted to talk uh, about the tone of, of this movie. I think when you think of a creature feature or a monster movie, you know, you think about maybe more of a good time or something people will call it a fun horror movie. Uh, even Frank Darabont, you know, making the, the, uh, 
sort of a throwback 50s style B movie. You expect this to be more fun, but this is not a fun time at the movies. This is a very dark, dour film. Do you yeah, agree? yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of anxiety, a lot of uh, fear, and then of course the division between uh, you know the age old uh, you know sort of staple in these kind of post apocalyptic films where it's like the actual threat is the people, not so much the uh, the big baddies at the door, you know. Right. It kind of has the same beats as like a zombie film. Yes. Where um, instead of zombies, it's monsters, but you know society is breaking down. Uh, and this little ecosystem of a uh, of a grocery store, you know, and things start to fall apart relatively quickly. Um, uh, I think it was the same way on the page, but I guess you know we can set it up a little bit. We follow Tom Jane. He's sort of the everyman. He's the art. Is there a better everyman than Tom Jane? Yeah, and according to you, who have you interacted <laughs> with him a bunch of times? He's not very no. much an everyman. He's kind of like an oddball sort of dude. He's a very strange dude. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, he's a weird guy. Not not a mean guy, uh, but just, you know, odd. Eccentric. But he's very, yeah, yes. Okay, perfect way to put it. Um, but, you know, on screen, I think he is a great, just every man. Like, if he needs that guy, Tom Jane is the guy, guy to play it. Um, you know, and he's an art, like we said, he's a Drew Struzan style artist or a, a nod to that uh, guy, at least. Um, a storm has come through town, a, a thunderstorm kind of uh, wreaked havoc and everyone's going to the grocery stores, uh, grocery store to get supplies. And he's there with his neighbor played by Andre Brower and they don't like each other. This movie really establishes everything very quickly it moves really quick i think it's about less than 15 minutes before the mist has has rolled up and everyone's trapped in the grocery store yeah it's like uh even though the film is kind of on the long side it it seems to progress quickly and one of the things that's kind of like a recurring theme in some of stephen king's work and which carries over into the film is that kind of dichotomy of like the city people versus like you know, the down home, you know, folk, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, his neighbor, like you said, is like a summer guy, even though this, I, this seemed to take place in the fall. Uh, his neighbor, he's up for, for whatever reason in a summer home. And, uh, you, you meet some of these people at the store and you have a mix of eccentric locals and things like that. But, um, they, they all seem to have different levels of contempt for like, you know, like David, Tom Jane, he's one of them, but he's, you know, a fancy guy with uh, connections to Hollywood and New York, and they don't like that. Yeah, it's I, I love that. You know what I mean? I think that's really cool how how um, how um they establish that sort of stuff. And, of course, you know, he's like the kind of, um, you know, Brent, uh, Brent Norton is sort of like that entitled guy. There's like a conflict between something kind of trivial, you know what I mean? Yeah, there was like a long a property dispute between the, t the two of them. And, uh, you know, it's kind of cool. Uh, he's helping out his neighbor. So tensions are easing a little bit there as they get to the grocery store. But then those old tensions sort of 
uh, rear their ugly heads in a very tense situation, people start to break down and panic, and it comes out in, in different ways, and in, in disbelief and in anger. One, one of the more terrifying aspects of this is how, you know, everything is, and this is kind of the thing I really liked about the film and, and films like this, where there's this, this like period where things are normal and everyone's mm-hmm. going about their day, you know, um, Drayton gets sent out to the supermarket to pick up like something, you know, very mundane, like milk and eggs or something like that. Mm-hmm. But there's this looming specter, like in the horizon that's slowly approaching and and no one's really giving it a whole lot of thought. They're just assuming that it's like, okay, you know, whatever. There's some like a storm or something coming. Right. Without the knowledge that this like really intense apocalyptic thing is about to drop on them, you know? So I like that too. Yeah. So Drayden, there's like this underlying doom, but everyone else is kind of oblivious to it. They just, you know, they're doing their thing, working, going to the store and all that sort of stuff. So right, uh, right. Dr- Drayton is separated from his family when, when all the shit hits the fan. From his wife. Yeah, he brings his son with him. Yeah. Um, which again, you know, like, God, when they make the kids uh, front and center in these movies, it's nine out of ten times it's a bad choice. Uh, in this, they, they, I think they made the smart decision. It constantly reminds you that he's with his son, but it doesn't really put the kid in the forefront of the action, uh, which I thought was a, a very smart move. Uh, to, you know, hey, remind the audience that his son is still there, but like, you know, don't give him a ton of dialogue or anything like that. Because yeah, a lot of times, like you know, kids—I mean, kids just can't act. I'll say it. <laughs> yeah, and it's also like um, I think it's cheap when they use uh, kids to like kind of draw, you know, like claw at your heartstrings or create uh, drama. You know, it's like a cheap way of doing that. Right. It's kind of funny. I've seen this pointed out that David keeps pawning his kid off to everyone else so he can go and like save the day. But, uh, you know, I, I get it. You know, you have to fight a pterodactyl from an, a, another dimension. You know, you don't want your, you don't want to be hanging out with your kid the whole time. Um, one, one quick, you mentioned like the, uh, something apocalyptic is happening but people don't know i loved when they were driving to the grocery store you see like the army coming the opposite way yeah yep. yeah i i love stuff like that too man and uh you know this guy uh one of the guys actors from walking dead comes running into the uh grocery store his nose is bleeding he's out of breath and starts screaming about the mist shut the doors and you know like they're not sure what what to think you know, but but they do it anyway. They shut the doors, you know, and, you know, there, I, I would imagine there was a good, you know, in the movie, it's just a few minutes. But uh, as of watching it, but like if you're there, it seems like a, some time has passed. They've been stuck there and nothing's happened. And that's when we get our first glimpse of what's out there. David goes to fix the generator and hears something knocking. And the local yokels are making fun of him for being, you know, basically being a pussy. <laughs> <laughs> and yep, we that get all changes uh, quickly, though. Yeah, exactly. We f- we get our first glimpse of uh, a tentacle creature. It, you know, uh, this is again to my point. The deaths in this movie are not light or fun. They're very grim and disturbing. You know, our first victim, Norm, he's just a kid who works at the grocery store, who wants to prove that he's, you know, brave and wants to impress, like, the the older uh, local guys. And he's like, ah, oh, you know, 
and he uh, he gets devoured by this this tentacle thing ra- rather brutally. It's tough to watch. It looks like it hurts. That's like the takeaway from that. You know, what I mean, it looks like really painful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, they're, and they're not just like tentacle. They're tentacles that sort of open up and and show like they have mouths and there's these other tentacles within tentacles and stuff. It's a very cool design. I really liked the look of these things. And uh, of course, it's a mix of practical and CGI. It looks pretty dodgy in the color version. It looks okay in the black and white version. Yeah, that's why it's recommended to watch the black and white version. And uh, yeah, once again, just even the creature design, this is total Lovecraft. You know, it's like oh, weird God, yeah. cosmic alien type shit, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, uh, in the bug stuff, not so much. It's, it feels a bit more Ray Harryhausen. Or, but there are, there's like a, a crab creature that seems to be like a cross between a crab and maybe a, a spider. There's some sort of gigantic, undescribable beast, which is, you know, very, very Lovecraftian. But yeah, the tentacles, for sure. And, you know, right away, things start to get divided with the people. Um, you have one camp, which is uh, David, and he's sort of building his own sort of, I guess, resistance to what else is going on in the store. Marsha Gay Harding's character, Mrs. Carmody, is a doomsday you know, Trumper. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she starts to take a hold uh, of, of the group rather quickly. And I just wanted to talk about these two. There's a character we didn't mention. We were giving, uh, we were talking about the oh, uh, stars of this. There's a guy named Ollie who works at the grocery store played by Toby Jones. Yeah. And this is one of my favorite characters in the movie. I love Toby Jones. He, he, if you're a horror fan, if you're and if you're listening to this podcast, you are obviously. Uh, Toby Jones has popped up in a lot of horror movies. He, he's a really great actor, very underrated, and he brings a lot to the character of Ollie, the grocery store clerk. You know. Yeah, it's it's because he's kind of like um, an unassuming guy. You know, he's just kind of average. You know what I mean? And you don't have yeah. expectations of him to be like heroic or exceptional in any way but in in when push comes to shove he actually is yeah exactly you have a guy who's probably what in his late 40s or early 50s and he's a grocery store clerk um kind of a maybe an unremarkable life but in this situation he comes to life you know he was a marksman uh he knows what to do he's not panicked he gets you know he knows how to organize he's he's helping I found it like to be him to be one of the more interesting characters and Toby Jones to be a very interesting choice bringing this role to life. Yeah, he was definitely one of those uh, actors from that era that appeared in a lot of films and you know playing similar similar roles. Yeah, he's great in this. He brings a lot to, you know, uh, not a throwaway character, but a character that could have been a little, uh, I don't know, maybe a different actor wouldn't have liked this character as much, wouldn't have been so curious like what was this guy like before you he, he was a you know a clerk in a grocery store i don't know there's something really interesting about it there like you know him being a marksman and things like that like or him being able to keep his calm and in, in this absolute panic you know i wanted to know more about that and of course we have marcia gay harden as mrs carmody um i wanted to talk about this character specifically because i think I don't remember it so well on the page. On the screen, it came off as a little, a little bit much, a yeah. little bit over the top. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 
definitely hyperbolic, you know, and uh, or maybe that's not the right right word for it, for it, but um, definitely extreme. You know, she's like um, a religious fanatic, uh, conservative uh, religious, you know, fanaticism. This kind of like uh, Old Testament end of t- end days trip, you know. Yeah, it's it's just a little bit on the nose, and I thought she went from zero to ten a little too quickly. Like as soon as the the mist comes in, she's like, "It's the end of days." <laughs> we have to sacrifice uh, the sinners, you know that sort of thing. Yeah, like right away. I mean, they did. There was a nice line from Toby Jones, like, "You locals will know Miss Carmody is known to be a little off balance or whatever, or unstable." Uh, so okay, cool. It's it's explained, but uh, I don't I don't know. Like it, it's the only real part of the movie that that made me just a little like uh, you know this is a little bit much. And um, she's all over this movie. Apparently, there were some scenes of hers that got cut because Frank Darabont where she's naked. Said, <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. Well, Frank Frank Darabont said a little of Mrs. Carmody goes a long way. Yeah, and. Um, I completely agree. It's uh, her character is a little bit much. Marsha Gay Harding is a great actress. She does a good job with this, but man, it's just an over the top character and a little bit of an over top, over the top performance. The um, I'm going to draw a comparison to uh, Midnight Mass. The character Bev, you know, the, yes. the religious, uh, you know, a zealot. In that case, there was more, and I, I draw these comparisons because Mike Flanagan is kind of like an acolyte of Stephen Stephen King. You know what I mean? Sure. And, yeah. Um, you know, Midnight Mass had a lot of King esque qualities to it, and that storyline definitely had that feel. And the character of Beverly or Bev or whatever her name is is kind of like the uh, equivalent of Mrs. Carmody from this, except that there was like more of an arc for her character. You know what I mean? And that yeah. that's the only criticism I have about the Carmody, um, you know, character in this. The movie's not short; like it's almost you know it's over two hours long. And yeah, true, and yeah, they could have taken more time to develop some of the characters. I think because they they like you you mentioned they rushed they boom you're you're in the middle of it of it you know. Right. Yeah, that's that's one of the few like I guess flaws I could I could say about this. She she she's a little much. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, you know, it's just paint by numbers. You are supposed to hate this person, and you hate them right away. And you, like you said, a little bit more development, a little bit more nuance, uh, nuance with that would, would have been uh, beneficial uh, to that character. You know, but also typical to um, a lot of uh, these kind of like the the sort of beats of this type of film. You have a place of relative safety, but then. It all goes to hell, and uh, you know, you have to leave and sort of make make do with your own. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Um, and it makes. I mean, I think they're in that grocery store for two nights, and things have gone to absolute hell in those two, in those two nights. Yeah. Uh, outside and inside, and David brings up a good point. Other than Mrs. Carmody's growing cult, like he's a, one of these things is going to like get in here and kill all of us. And uh, so you know they have to plan to leave. And uh, I, I, again, um, most of the movie uh, has been very like handheld. There's no, I don't think there was much of a score for the entire movie until they leave the uh, the grocery store. 
So you had this very like one style of movie. Like I know he used the crew from the TV show The Shield to shoot this, right? And because they, you know, TV moves quick. And then as soon as they they leave the grocery store, it gets a little bit more cinematic, like that, like just you know more composure in the shots, uh, things like you have this like score from Dead Can Dance playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked I I, I like that you know like yeah. you just spent the whole you know hour and forty five minutes in one place and then they leave and it just sort of uh, shifts in style. Uh, that was I thought that was a great choice. And this is when you start seeing the the true extent of this uh of what's going on you know now you you have like the former landscape of this um small town being um transformed into a lovecraftian uh, nightland you know it's like these gigantic behemoths are roaming the landscape and there's mist and death and destruction and everything you know around them yeah everything's destroyed all the highway signs are like now on on the ground and yeah, it, it, the whole—it's seemingly the whole world is engulfed in in fog and or mist, and everyone they know is is dead. Um, now, before we get to the end, I just wanted to point out uh, one of the ad. I think this was added. The Arrowhead Project is sort of heavily hinted. Well, no, they come out and say is responsible for what's happening. The military. Yeah. And so we have a few military characters sprinkled throughout this. That I, I believe Private Jessup wasn't in the, the, the book, but he's one of the, the bigger characters in this. And again, I have to say, I thought it was a bit of a, of a mistake to explain this. You know, uh, just a quick reference here and there to the Arrowhead Project would have been more than enough for me. But uh, there's a scene where they go and to to uh king pharmacy not not a very subtle reference um and there's an mp there who's strung up in webs and he's like it was our fault we did it i i I didn't like that i think the mystery is always or always more interesting than you know what is this why is this happening to me that's scarier than oh it's a military fuck up yeah you know i i would have preferred it to be like some scientist is delving into some like arcane scriptures that he located and there's that weird science crossover with magic or something you know like that kind of lovecraftian like vibe which created this apocalypse right exactly like just yeah exactly something like that or just ambiguous just what you're like you know is there some sort of portal that was found at the thunderstorm like yeah. uh you know just any like your own thoughts i think are more I don't know. It would be more satisfying than, you know, this military thing. I just, I didn't really think that needed to be explained. Apparently, Darabont had a whole intro uh, written for this where it explicitly shows the military and and this thing happening, uh, which he didn't even end up shooting. It got, he cut it from the script before they even shot it. So yeah, even that, he himself knows, ambiguous, you know, not making that the forefront was the, the way to go. That would have been disappointing if they did something like that. Yeah, and I think, you know, like at a movie of like this two hours and six minutes, they could have cut that military stuff. Well, obviously, there'd be whole characters you'd have to get rid of. But I don't know. They could have con- they could have made that a little more ambiguous. Maybe it was the military. Who knows? You know, just I didn't think they needed to... Um, you know, explicitly explain it out for us. Now the ending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, spoiler alert uh, for you guys, but 
if you're this far into the into it, you've probably seen it or you don't care. But wildly different ending than what's in the short story, which um, wildly different. The short story actually uh, lends uh, uh, some hope, you know, to the, to our our characters. But the the movie just goes dark and and disturbing, and I completely back it, you know. Okay, okay. I wanted to ask because, man, I remember seeing this in the theater and this ending hitting me like, oh my God, like I just did not see this coming. And, and, you know, at first I felt not betrayed by it, but just like, man, they really went over the top with this ending. It's so dark, so cruel. But man, when you like when I was watching it again recently, it was like that's the tone of this movie. Yeah. Since from frame one, this is a dark fucking movie. It's consistent for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it upset a lot of people. Stephen King himself loved the new ending. <laughs> loved it. Um, which is cool. Uh, you know, the story ends. Uh, the book ends with a. Uh, uh, you know, he's he's writing this all down, what has happened in the last 48 hours. And it ends with, he heard on a radio, the words Hartford and hope. Uh, I was born in Hartford. There's no hope there. <laughs> um, <laughs> so man, that's a dark ending for me. But, you know, yeah, it's, it's more ambiguous. But, uh, you know, again, this doesn't, that's not how you end a movie like this. You, know, you need something. And... It could have been, you know, he steps out of the car and the whole everyone's saved by the military, but it didn't go that way either, man. It went, oh, it went dark, and it's it's very tough to watch. I've seen this a bunch of times, and I still find it very hard to watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's for for a film that was made for mass consumption. It's just like bleak, you know. Well, Frank Darabont. Uh, sacrificed a lot to get this ending. For instance, they would not let him shoot this in black and white and have that ending. Um, and apparently they offered him more money, a bigger budget, if he rewrote the ending and he refused to do it. So he, 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 this is obviously what he wanted. This is the ending he had in mind all along. And, you know, kudos to him whether you like it or not. They got this through in a major Hollywood, you know, $18, $20 million budget movie. You just don't see a lot of things like that. Yeah, it's almost like a Cormac McCarthy ending or something, you know, where uh, yeah. it's like if Cormac McCarthy had written The Mist, it would have ended exactly like the way Darabont did it. Yep. Yeah, that's a great comparison. And I wanted to ask you, like, about it. Okay, so they've left the grocery store, uh, David, his son, two old people, and, uh, you know, uh, someone who's acted like a partner for him, the, the girl, Amanda, they're all in, in the car. They've driven however long a full tank of gas gets you away from wherever the hell they are in Maine. They run out of gas, and they immediately come to this decision to end everyone's life. That was one thing I thought was a little like, you know, they went, they just went through so much. They yeah. wouldn't just give up like that. There's no impending doom. I mean, obviously they're in danger, but like nothing's like descending down upon them. He's just like, well, we're running out of gas. Bang, bang, bang. Everyone's dead. Well, I think there was like an implication that something was approaching them. Okay. You know, and that, but 
Well, what they should have done, I mean, this is the only change I would have made, is they should have inserted some some scenes of them enduring, you know, some hardships or whatever, running out of food or like, um, you know, something where it's like we've exhausted every option and this is the only one to end suffering in this completely black outcome for everyone, you know? Right, maybe show them stop at a gas station and they can't get gas, something like that. You, yeah. you know what I mean? But I'm like, yeah, everything's abandoned. Like, I'm, I'm sure you can still put gas in your car, though, like, uh, or, you know, it, things well, just show without a electricity, little bit of that. You can't turn yeah. the pump on. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Or they, they could have taken another car. Sure. Uh, there's a lot they could have done. I, that that's always rung a little like, um, just hot, like you know, I'm like, yeah, man, that they just came to that decision real quick. And if you just waited five more minutes, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Yep. It's just the ultimate ironic ending. Even like a crueler twist. As the credits roll, I remember like I was watching this. I went to the bathroom. I came back. The credits were still rolling, and you can still hear the tanks. And the helicopters and everything. It just, you know, it's like they keep coming and they keep coming. And uh, it's just such a cruel ending, man. But, I mean, I I give it point. It's got balls, man. It it, it goes there. That movie bummed everyone out in the theater. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, you know, it's cool. When did this come out? Like 2007? 2007, yeah. Other things that were uh, uh, were big around then, or other horror movies, I, I I would say none of them went this dark with the ending. No, no. I mean, at that at that time, I was um really deep into like all those French films, you know. So oh, okay. Those are super bleak, you know, dark and like like martyrs and stuff like that, you know. So oh god, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this was like right. I might have even watched those two films in the same year, you know. Okay. If I go back and think about it, you know. Because there was that time in, when I lived in Greenpoint in Brooklyn, there was like this awesome video store called uh, Photoplay. And that's where the, he had every single thing you'd ever want to watch. Mm-hmm. And it was arranged like a record store, like with like these bins. So you could, you know, you flip through the bins and that's it. You could oh, nice. put more movies in there. So you just had the flats. And um, yeah, I definitely was exploring all those French films around the time I saw this. So I was like, yeah, this is killer, you know? Right, exactly. Okay, so people like you and I would have watched that stuff, but if you're just like the average moviegoer expecting a fun horror movie nah. and you get this, man, you're going to be fucking really pissed yeah. off. I mean, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, what was big around that time were those really whack like remakes of like, um, yeah. you know, uh, well, The Hills Have Eyes remake was good. That made, was brutal. Yeah, made by a Frenchman, you know, one of those French yeah, extreme guys. But the, yeah. uh, like, Friday the 13th, um, you know that that was bad, and I think that was contemporary to this film. Yeah, that's not that sounds right. Yeah. Plus, I, I don't think anyone expected this from Frank Darabont, the guy who made the Shawshank Redemption and the Green Mile. Yeah. No, totally. <laughs> you know, like he just went ultra bleak. You know, I think the tone of his lat like Green Mile and Shawshank is a little bit more uplifting than this. I mean, I, I definitely didn't see it coming, man. And I, I go back and forth. Whether I like the ending, I think that my this recent go around, I saw the movie in a completely different light. Like, oh, this is not a, a good time, fun throwback movie with a dark ending. This is a very dark movie with a very dark ending. Yeah, 
I'm 100% behind it because once again, going back to the Lovecraft um, sort of uh, beats, that's how a Lovecraft story would end with complete madness for the main character. Yeah. Yeah. He is by the end a broken, broken person and, you know, survival. Like he, he survives, but at the cost of literally everything he had. And man, this is a one of the three or four grimmest endings to a horror film I've ever seen. So, 100%, man, totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, okay, what do you give this? I give it a five out of five, man. It's like one of my favorite movies. Yeah, I, I mentioned a few nitpicks. I give the color version of this a four. <laughs> I give the black and white version of this a five. Yeah. Maybe a 4.5. I know, because like I said, the comedy thing is a little much, but at the end of the day, I find myself not thinking about that. I, I, I think about just everything else, just how brutal this movie is. And, and, and for that, yeah, five. Totally. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. And um, we'll talk to you next week. Take care. <laughs>